You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 238 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Oh, well, I don't really know. Like it's been a while, Val. I don't know if I actually remember how to do this. I'm thinking that we're (laughs) very out of practice. We are out of practice and we are also passing like ships in the night because I've literally just returned from North America and you're about to take off. I am about to take off. So I guess the best possible response to how are you, Al, this week is probably a little bit stressed, to be honest, and (laughs) just, you know, needing to do all those thousand and one last minute things that need to be done before a person goes anywhere. So that's me. How are you, though? Like, you must be exhausted. You only just got back and then you did a thousand things and now here you are. Yes, I am a little bit exhausted, but I'm actually glad to be home because I've been living out of a suitcase for a little while and, uh, you know, I flew back on and on one day I had to get a plane the next day to go to Brisbane. I had to teach all day in Brisbane and, I f- and fly back late that night and it's just glad to come back and hug my little Rexy and my Rocky and my Dougal and my Groucho, of course. Yes. And, um, <laughs> yes, all of, the, all of the fur babies, all yes. All of the fur babies, but I'm super excited because it was all worth it because my dream came true. <laughs> Your dream came true. Which dream? You have so many dreams. Which like, dream came true? The dream about going to see Hamilton in New York. And Yay! It, it was just such a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful experience. And because I'm a bit obsessive. Mm, no, really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm so shocked. I bought this book. And I'm going to reach out to the author because it was so cool, uh, you know, the information in this book. And for those familiar with Hamilton will know that one of the songs is, uh, one of the lyrics is, I want to be in the room where it happened, which is a particular, you know, important meeting in American history. And so this book is called Where, um, Where Was the Room Where It Happened? Oh. It's so good. And it goes through all of the key locations in Hamilton and where they are in real life. Now, Mm -hmm. I couldn't visit them all, um, you know, because that wasn't possible, but I visited as many as I could. And it was such a great way to see New York because I saw Mm -hmm. all of these historic places that I wouldn't normally have discovered and and even a quick Google, I wouldn't have found them uh, because this guy had done a whole heap of research. And it was just great to be in the same room um, as when they sing, I'm not going to throw, I'm not throwing away my shot. And um, I went to Hamilton's grave and I saw Angelica and Eliza's grave and I went wow. to the place where Hamilton 
once had his office. He was at 26 Broadway and I that day I worked out of 25 Broadway so I could, you know, kind could of soak it up. Yes, yeah, soak it up. <laughs> Through the walls. <laughs> and um, so the whole thing was super, 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 super exciting. And then on my penultimate day, so the day before I was going to leave, I got this message and I opened this message and I just practically first fainted, then vomited um, because right. it was a message from my cousin who actually lives in London and she had organised me to, to go the next day backstage at Hamilton in New York. Get out. You did not. No, I did not because I had to reply to her and say, I'm, I'm going on a plane then. <gasps> oh, my God. Hashtag no words. <laughs> Hashtag no words. You no couldn't words. do it? I couldn't do it because I had to fly back on that plane because I had this commitment in Brisbane and I wouldn't have got there. Otherwise, I would have changed my flight for sure. Um Hashtag no words. You are so right. So I got nothing. I've just I've got nothing. I know it was bittersweet. <laughs> are you Are you all out there feeling the crushing disappointment here? Because I just wow. <laughs> I know, and I I have the I can show you the screenshot. It was like devastating. Oh. Anyway, I'm Wow, talk about starting our entire podcast on a downer, Val. <laughs> wow, where are we going to go from here? All right, we're going to bring it back up. We're okay. going to bring it back up uh, and give a shout out to Excuses Versus Life Ooh. from Australia, who, le- who has left us a lovely review on iTunes um, headed Relaxed and Authentic. And Excuses Versus Life has said, this podcast took a little while to get used to listening at first. It has a very relaxed and informal approach to the subject matter. However, after listening to a couple of episodes, I'm really enjoying being let in on wonderful conversations. These are two interesting, honest and very authentic women. They know a great deal about writing and I love the variety of topics and guests that they have in each episode. It's not just about them. Oh, there you go. I quite like that. <laughs> Certainly not just about us. It would be so dull if it was just about us. We'd be banging on about Banoffee Pie and That's right. and Hamilton. And Hamilton <laughs> and the great disappointments of life I constantly. Know, I know. Thank you. Thank you so much for the review, Excuses Versus mm. Life. We very much appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much. And if you do have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, we'd really be grateful because it certainly helps us in the rankings. Now, shall we move on to the world of writing and publishing this week, Al? I think we probably should, given that's the whole point of the show. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. It's not about us. So I have this link. It's actually from Forbes, and we'll put all of the links that we mentioned in the show in the show notes, which you can find at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au. Now, this link is called Why Beth Recalls is the Wattpad success story behind the Netflix hit The Kissing Booth. So basically, this girl, Beth Reekles, started writing when she was well, she started writing on Wattpad when she was um, 15, and she started serializing her novel. But she didn't just put stuff up on Wattpad and kind of left, left it there. She made sure that she engaged with people. So she wrote commentary around, you know, the serialized bit that she would upload. She would also um, answer questions from readers that 
if they were opposed to her, she became an active part of the community. And before long, it became a very, very popular serialised novel to mm. the point where she got uh, – so an editor at Random House, now Penguin Random House, sent her a message on Wattpad and said that they would be interested in publishing The Kissing Booth, which was the novel. And then they offered her a three-book deal. How good is that? It's amazing. I know. Amazing, right? So good on good on Beth. You can read the full story um, in this link, but that's the gist of it. And, uh, you know, congratulations to Beth. I think that that's awesome. Have you watched The Kissing Booth at all? Oh, no, so I haven't. So, yes, after it got published, um, yeah, now it's on Netflix, which is pretty cool too. Mm. Sounds yes. interesting. My um, my teenage son is currently binge watching his way through the Gilmore Girls, like oh. all of them, every season. I think he's up to like season four. He has really? started at the beginning and he has watched every episode of the Gilmore Girls, which I find fascinating. And I, I said to him, like, it, it, you know, he someone at school put him onto it, like, yeah. a you know, someone at school said, have you seen this? And oh. he sat down and um, there's a few of them that watch it, like girls and, and guys, and they're you know, they're texting, you know, doing whatever they do about it and stuff. But it's um I just said to him, What is it about this that you like? Yes. He goes, I just really like the talking. There's so much talking in it. Oh. And they're really clever. Um and so and also to the point where he has downloaded Rory Gilmore's book list, which I think we've discussed in an earlier episode. So she's always reading something and she's always carrying a book around. She's always discussing a book. There's kind of, you know, some, some variation of literature because of course she's the massive geek. And, um, so there's a list, you can actually download her entire reading list that she is mentioned all through the series. So he has downloaded this. I think there's like 400 books or something on this thing, 200, lots of books anyway, like lots of books. And he has decided that he will now begin working his way through the Rory Gilmore. Wow, that is so cool. That is reading like, list. I think that's really interesting about the the talking because it's so true. They don't talk normally. Normal people do not talk like they talk on the Gilmore Girls. So no. We all, 100 like, miles an hour exactly. and, you know, clever, 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 clever all the Very time. They're like a – they're a little bit like – they do remind me of John Green novels. When you read John Green novels, they talk in John Green novels like they talk yeah. on the Gilmore Girls. And I think it's that idealised version of – teenagers, you know, clever teenagers is what attracts teenagers to both John Green and to Gilmore Girls. It's that Mm. idealised version of how clever you could be if you really just were given a chance. That's right. I I remember when Dawson's Creek was big and Mm. – you know, there was a, they, they had good dialogue as well and, the, and an American girl had come out on an exchange and I was talking to her and she said, you know, we don't talk like that. <laughs> they don't no also one talk talks like, like that. <laughs> nobody talks like Val is currently <laughs> attempting to talk either. What is that? It was a bit southern, I think. <laughs> it wasn't anything at all. Apologies to all our US listeners for Sorry. that appalling, appalling Sorry. accent. Terrible. I don't even know. I don't even know what that was. Um, no, nobody really talks like that, but that's okay yeah. because I think that's what that's what um, you know. It's they're serving back to teenagers yeah. an idealized version of. Of, of teenagers and of course when you're a teen and you're trying to work out you know how to even say hello to people half the time yeah. the notion that you could somehow be Rory Gilmore is mm. is kind of very very attractive but I'll, I'll keep you posted on how he goes with the list because it's yes. fairly intense yes. the uh, the reading list I'll, I'll, I'll let you know how he how he travels but um anyway that's completely beside the point what's our next what are we talking about next Val? well I think you have a us. link 
for us about five mistakes new writers make? Oh, yes, I do. Um, So this particular link uh, appeared on the Paperback Kingdom website. It's called Five Mistakes New Writers Make as Told by an Editor, and I will put the link in the show notes. Um, It's a guest post by Trish Tobias, I think is how you would say it, um, who is an editor who's worked on a whole range of different books. And she talks about the five kind of mistakes that um, new writers tend to make. And one of the well, the reason I wanted to talk about it was because the number one uh, point that she makes mm. is about pacing. And I know that pacing is a thing that when you're a new writer, it's one of the most difficult things to get your head around um, because people will say to you, the pacing in your book is not right. And you will go, I have no idea what you mean by that. Um, pacing is a very instinctive thing in some ways. And it's also a very, very, you know, heavy craft aspect in another. Um so the the author of this blog post says that pacing is probably one of the biggest issues that she comes across when she's editing manuscripts and it is also one of the most difficult problems to explain or correct. So if your story's pacing is too uneven, especially in the early chapters, it can be, you know, like people will just stop reading. Um, so if, if you go in too hard too fast, nobody knows what's happening, they don't know who the character is, they don't know what's, you know, where the character's going and they just don't attach or engage. If it's Mm. too slow, you're just sitting there wondering, waiting for something to happen. I mean, how many times have you picked up a book and just gone, I'm four chapters into this and I don't know when the story is actually going to start. And sometimes it never does. And those ones. very frustrating. Anyway, so, um, and if it's going backwards and forwards, then, you know, your editor's not going to be happy with that either. So um, now the suggestion in this blog post is that it's something that you get better at, when you're sort of, you know, writing, um, the more you do it, the more you get better at identifying it. It's also a great idea to read books for pacing. So if you're reading a book um, when and you're reading like a writer, don't just immerse yourself in the story. Have a look at what's going on. Yep. You know, is the action like breakneck speed? Why is that? And then what does the author do to slow it down? Because while, you know, breakneck speed does work, um, and in, in fact, you know, several of my books would be probably like a lot of sections of them are breakneck speed because mm-hmm. kids like action. We want stuff happening all the time. However, you have to actually get back into your character sometimes. You have to slow things down so that your reader can catch up, so that yep. you can show things that, you know, that there's details that, that a reader needs to see to perhaps go on to the next thing. Um, so, it's it's kind of like so my my thinking on it is always that if you want to slow things down you get inside your character's head and you get into detail you yes. start to talk about what they're seeing what they're smelling what they're hearing what they're feeling what they're thinking that kind of stuff that will slow it all down you're describing a lot of action of what's going on around them that kind of stuff and suddenly your story slows down your reader has a chance to catch up if you want things to move ahead it's big picture you are you know you are fights, you are battles, you are, you know, you are moving along quickly, you are jumping in time. So you're not necessarily showing the journey, you're showing them leaving on the journey, you're showing them arriving at their destination, but there's no, you know, and that's a chapter break, not, you know, anything like that. So Mm. there's certain tricks that you can use for for pacing. um, And it's really good to read for pacing, like pick up a couple of different styles of books that you have at home and have a look at what the authors are doing. Now, the other thing that um, that the author of this blog post suggests is mapping out plot beats. Um, now, this is something right. that my 
Yeah. This is something that my friend, uh, Alison Rushby, mm-hmm. um, who incidentally has a new book out called The Mulberry Tree, which is doing really well. She's a children's author. Awesome. She, she is a plotter. And we have mentioned her before. We have several people that we go back to regularly for this kind of stuff because we know that that's what they do. So she is definitely a plotter. And she has what she calls a beat sheet that she works to, which helps her to see where the important moments are in her story, what leads up to them, what follows on from those stories, and how she can, like, whether the pacing of her story is therefore, you know, uneven or if it's working well. And I thought that this might be something that that our listeners have he- have heard about but don't necessarily know what that is. So I've I'm going to put a link in the show notes to another blog, another website, yep. and this is the website of an author called Jamie Gold, and she's got what is like a she's obviously done NaNoWriMo and she has a wrap up on this all about beat sheets. She has a whole range of different beat sheets that you can download and have a look at. She explains what a beat sheet is, which is basically just a visual way of tracking your story and its structure. And I think Scrivener allows you to, I mean, you know, I'm not totally familiar, but allows you to actually do this in within the program. But this is a, you know, this is her showing you how to use it on a, on a spreadsheet. So you don't have to have fancy software. You can have a spreadsheet. You can do it on Microsoft Word if you want to. Mm. Um, but she has links and the links are in this blog post to download different types of beat sheets that you might actually, you know, want to have a look at just, just to compare what's happening in your story with what's happening in a standard sort of a pacing way, basically. So I just thought that might be a helpful thing. Have a look That's at the so show notes. Cool. Yeah. I love it. I think that, um, in, you know, it's not going to be for everyone, but I think no. everyone should try it to see whether it works for them because you never know unless you do. No, that's right. But it's also something that you don't have to use it. But mm. it might, as I said, it might be something that if you download a beat sheet and it just, if you have a look at the way that, you know, that the stories are often structured, this is not always structured, but often structured. And then you, you have a solid look at your manuscript and have a look to see whether your manuscript is anywhere in that ballpark, because that's going to help you to understand whether your pacing is anywhere near where it needs to be. Yeah. Um, so it's just a, it's just a tool to sort of go, oh, well, look, you know, I've got four chapters of slow, 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 slow before mm. anything actually happens, and then the action really ramps up. Well, is that going to work? Um, when you send that off to a publisher, are they going to go, where's the story? Um, so think, of, you know, it, it's it's actually a really, it's an important thing. It's not something that's easily explained, but it is something that you need to get right if you want to really, you know, get, if you want your story to work. Mm. Um, it confounds me sometimes, though, when I'm reading things that are published by proper publishers and they are you know they are the pacing isn't right and I'm like didn't why wasn't this addressed <laughs> well I, think, I guess it's like anything like I think it's it's probably a subjective thing on, well, on many yes. levels you know um, the kind of story that you like mm. may be paced differently to the kind of story that you've read so you know there is a certain we do look for certain things it's one of the reasons I like you know I like I like action. I like mm. pace. I like stories to move forward. I like them to drive forward. So for me, that's why I read a lot of crime fiction because that's how it works. Yes. Um, so you do tend to read. And so hopefully you're writing a similar story to the kind of thing you like to read because if you're doing that, at least you will have, having read a lot of them, an idea of how the pacing needs to go. Yep. 
great. All right, let's move on to Black Ink Books have a call for submissions, don't they? Uh, they do. And I thought I would uh, just bring this to everyone's attention because you might remember that recently we spoke to Anita Heiss who edited uh, Growing Up Aboriginal in Australia, which was an anthology of stories. Um, and so there's a new anthology open for submissions um, from Black Ink and mm-hmm. it's called Growing Up Queer in Australia. So if you um, they're looking for submissions from all LGBTIQ writers in Australia, it's going to be edited by Benjamin Law who, of course, you know, has a fantastic uh, profile and has done some amazing work here. And they're looking for first-person pieces about growing up as a member of the queer community, however you identify, whichever way that goes. They're looking for um, any tone, style or format, but they're not looking for, you know, scholarly sort of academic works. Uh, They're hoping to receive honest, original and personal nonfiction from people of all ages and backgrounds. And I just thought that I would um, just, you know, let everyone know that that's happening in case that's something that you would like to uh, send in a submission for. And we will, of course, put the link in the show notes. Fantastic. Give it a go, everyone. Yeah. All right. So... Just want to give a big shout out actually to Alison's new course, The Creative Ooh. Writing Quest for Kids. Now, it's officially open for enrolments and it's kicking off on the 9th of July. So, if you have a child or know of a child aged between 9 and 14 who loves to write, this is a really cool 12-week course which isn't onerous. It's just so enjoyable. I think kids will absolutely love it and get a lot out of it. They will learn stuff but they'll also do stuff which is really, really fun. Mm. So they'll develop their story writing skills and by the end of the course they will have created an 800-word story which, you know, they can print out and they can use and they can show their friends and their grandmother and their teacher. They'll also get plenty of encouragement and inspiration along the way. And I think this is the best part. Once they finish their 800-word story, and by the way, you don't have to do the course in 12 weeks if you get, you know, stuck or whatever. It's fine. You can finish it at your own pace. Um, Once they submit their 800-word story... The one and only Alison Tate will provide personalised feedback on that exact piece of writing. She's going to read it, Alison's going to read it and provide feedback on it. So that's pretty, pretty cool. So if anyone enrols before the 3rd of July, so you only have a few days, you will also get a bonus. Your child will get six months free access to the Australian Writers' Centre's Discovery Club, which this is an awesome club. They'll get access after they finish the course so that they can continue their momentum and they can continue nurturing their creativity with writing prompts and things that they can do, um, story story ideas that they can write and uh, and also get um, encouragement on. It's uh, very, very exciting. So if you want to check out the um, course, go to writerscentre.com.au slash quest. That's writerscentre.com.au slash quest. All right, let's move on to our competition this week. This is pretty cool. You can win a copy of The President is Missing, written by none other than Bill Clinton and James Patterson. (laughs) Yes. They're a, you know, that's an unlikely duo, but that's pretty good. The President is Missing by the actual Bill Clinton and, of course, iconic crime writer, uh, thriller writer, James Patterson. There are things only a president can know. There are things only a president can do. 
And then there are times when the only option is unthinkable. The President is Missing, the only thriller a president could write. Yes, The President is Missing is fiction. It's a thriller. But James Patterson and I, this is Bill Clinton speaking, uh, James Patterson and I have come up with three of the most frightening days in the history of the presidency. And it could really happen. Uh-huh. So if you want to win a copy of that, um, entries close on the 2nd of July. Just go to writerscentre.com.au slash win in order to get your chance to enter. Good luck. Mm. Now, Al. Yes, Val, <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm alert. I'm here. Are you ready for the word of the week? Oh, it's been so long. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so ready, Val. So ready. Now, I don't actually know how to pronounce this. How do you think, how would you pronounce this? C-A-N-A-R-D. Clearly, I don't use this word. Canard? Yeah, canard. I, yeah, I would say canard because when I was in fourth grade, I had a Mr. Canard. Um, so probably canard. Anyway, this means a false story, hoax or rumour although it does mean duck in French. So you might say the canard about the reasons behind the company's downfall was spread widely even though it was untrue. Mm-hmm. Canard. I don't think, I don't think I'd say that. Oh, well, you know, just... I don't think I would. What, what, how would you use it in a sentence then? I don't, I don't think I would. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Should I not admit that? <laughs> That's all right. Well, I would say yes. the canard about the reasons behind the company's downfall was spread widely, <laughs> even though it was untrue because I wrote it. <laughs> so you wouldn't say, That's a canard. Well, you I pad. guess you could. Because that's what yes. it sounds like. It Ooh. sounds like we're about to have a, a, some kind of duel. Duel, yes. Mm. Oh. That's a canard. Yes, I, yes. You know, I challenge you to a duel. That is so true. I did see exact replicas of the exact pistols used in the duel between Hamilton and Aaron Burr. Sorry, I'm just <laughs> Are you just going to bring – is everything in our world going to be brought back to Hamilton for the rest of our lives now? Is that no, how this I'll is going to go? No, I'll stop now. In fact, let's move on to our writer-in-residence this week. I had a great chat with Belinda Castles who – for those of you who remember, won the Australian Vogels Literary Award in, back in 2006 for The River Baptists. And uh, her next novel was Hannah and Emile, which won the Asher Literary Award. And now she has released her latest book, which is called Blue Bottle, which is set in Sydney's northern beaches, where I live. So, yeah, I had a good old chat with Belinda. Let's have a listen to what she has to say. So, Belinda, thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome. It's good to be here. Now, for those people who have yet to pick up your latest book, Blue Bottle, tell us what it's about. Uh, Well, it's about a family uh, and their lives over one day, about 20 years ago, Uh, and then uh, how the events of that day affect them 20 years on. Um, it's, it's really based around um, three children's view of their father, who's one of those dads um, who likes to kind of dare his kids, chuck them around in the water, do dangerous things. So there's always a little bit 
of an edge to him. Uh, and one day there's a bit more of an edge than usual uh, and the kids begin to form suspicions about him. Such a great premise for a book. Now, I, um, you, you have written it in an area or set it in an area that you live in, is that correct, which is in the northern yeah, beaches of right. Sydney? Yeah, yeah. And why was that important to you? Why was why was did you pick that place and that setting? Uh, well, place often is um, the starting point for me. I also set a novel on the Hawkesbury River where I used to live. Um, I think uh, what it is about that sort of upper stretch of the northern beaches is the combination of dramatic beauty um, but a kind of a threat as well, a sort of wild edge. So strictly speaking, you're still in Sydney but there's all these bush areas, uh, the sea does unpredictable things, you know, the ocean is dangerous place um, and it just seems like a really rich setting to me uh, to set off human drama. Yeah, so I can understand what you're saying because I live in the northern beaches of Sydney and probably not okay. far from you. <clears throat> but, okay. Um, but uh, you've got your setting then, especially if you start with your place. How yeah. then did the characters form or how did it really come to life? Were you down at the beach and you saw something or how did it happen? Um, it was nothing so straightforward. Uh, I, I think it's a couple of things. One thing that I was interested in that I seem to keep reading about was sort of old um, stories, really old stories from the 60s and 70s of kids in Sydney disappearing, just young people being taken and the way those stories haunt their communities and the place that they've been taken from. Um, there's a disappearance in the novel. So that was one thing. Uh, the other thing that interested me was um, a particular kind of character profile. Uh, I remember one of the things uh, that I saw when I was thinking about this story was there was an insight program on SBS about a guy. He really fascinated me. He I think was a neuroscientist and he had been doing brain scans and seeing whether there was kind of a brain profile for psychopaths. And he discovered, or so he says, that he was a psychopath. So in the process <laughs> of this research, he kind of diagnosed himself. <laughs> and so I was, it, it was less um, the psychopathy that interested me but when he talked about his behaviour, uh, he was saying he was that kind of father that um, did things that were dangerous with his kids, went in water that wasn't safe, um, you know, drove cars too fast and so on. And something about that and some other things that I was hearing just really fascinated me because I just think there are dads like that and it's a kind of thrill but it's got an edge. Yeah, right. Wow. Okay, so you started that, started with that and then did you 
develop the what was your next step in terms of developing the story was it the characters was it you knew the plot the way the plot was going to evolve what was next okay so I had this idea that um an event would happen and that the kids would suspect their father of it uh, that I had that very early on. I don't know where it came from. I guess from this kind of personality, um, you know, what's behind that kind of itchiness? Um, how much can we know our parents? So that all that was there quite early on. Um, and something that happened when I started writing about the kids I wanted it from the kids point of view um, because that's that's where the drama is I think their experience of it as soon as I started writing about it I had this boy Jack the son and I thought what would it be like for the boy in this family who's not the kind of boy that his father admires Mm -hmm. so his sister's an athlete uh, she swims a lot. She's beautiful, athletic, and the boy paints and is quiet and worries about people and panics. You know, he, that's one of his um, difficulties in youth that he panics and he can't control it. And as soon as I started to think about those characters, they kind of created their own plot because their mm. worries um, – seemed to set Charlie, their father, off in various ways. So it set up a kind of dynamic where the more they worried, the worse his behaviour became, which often seems to be the case as well. So I guess it was a funny sort of interaction between character and plot. Mm. So you have uh, two different time periods 20 yeah. years apart. Did you know you were going to do that from day one? Well, a strange thing happened. I uh, I started with just the time period in the 90s because I wanted to set it over one day. Uh, but then I started thinking, well, actually, I really want to know what happens to these kids, uh, what the aftermath of all this is. So I started writing sections in the present and then I – I sort of became overwhelmed by the difficulties of the structure that I was constructing Uh, and I got rid of all the present sections and just had this little capsule of the day in the past Um, and I showed it to my agent and said, what do you think? And she said, "Uh, I want to know what happens to them. So (laughs) I was I was back to that and I just had to figure out a structure that worked, but I was really glad Mm. that I did. I think it was something on both our minds that, um, okay, so, so what does it mean then? How do they turn out? Yes. In terms of how they turned out, did you, how early into the process or did you know this at the beginning, did you know what was going to happen from day one or did you let it unfold in your own Uh, brain? Uh, So in terms of how the kids turn out, um, I didn't 
from day one. I did have an image of Lou, who's the older girl in the family and Charlie's favourite. Um, and for some reason, I wanted her to be a sort of borderline alcoholic real estate agent. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> it's certainly not based on any locals. Uh, I just had this image of her, just sort of somebody who lives her life um, just consumed by houses uh, but also kind of keeping it together with this very kind of fine balance of how much she's drinking. People can be consumed by houses in the Northern Beaches, that's for sure. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you won the Vogel in 2006 for The River Baptists and then your next novel um, also won awards, which was Hannah and Emile. When when did you know you wanted to be an author? From when you were a little kid or later? Um, Yes, from a child, but it sort of came and went a little bit. Uh, There was a period of wanting to be an interior designer. I'm a bit obsessed with houses as well. Um, But I – so what happened was, um, you know, I used to write as a kid and do well at English and things like that. And I did an exchange program with an American university. So I grew up in the UK, went to uni in the UK, um, and something that they had at American universities that we didn't have was uh, creative writing courses at that time. Mm. Uh, So I did one for summer school and I was just hooked. I just loved it. Uh, it really was life changing, um, and really from then. So from I guess from when I was twenty, you know, there was something there already, but it confirmed it for me. Wow. Okay. And so you, um, when you were in the throes of writing this book, Blue Bottle, um, what can you? Tell me a little bit about your writing routine. Was it something, did you have a certain defined period, like X number of months that you were dedicating, dedicating it to, to it? Were you writing outside of your you know, day job because you're a lecturer at creative writing at the University of Sydney? How did you structure the actual getting the words out of your head and onto the paper, well, keyboard, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Was there some kind of structure to it or did you just write whenever? Um, it's, it's mostly been in bursts for me throughout, um, from, for all my novels. Um, I've sort of found ways to buy myself time. So, um, for this one, uh, before I worked at Sydney, I was in the UK for a few years working at the University of Exeter, uh, and, uh, you work very intensely on teaching and supervision in term time, but then you get a really nice long period of not teaching over the summer. So I really just powered up for those sessions. There would also be um, 
maybe a month over Christmas. They don't have a very long break there because why bother in the yes. middle of English winter? Yes. Uh, and most people sort of took that time to, you know, decompress. I tended to write straight through it because I just didn't want to lose touch with what I was doing. Mm. Um, when I can, uh, I find a few spots in the week, uh, even in term time. But what I tend to do, I think I can sort of see a pattern at this stage, is I write in bursts, I apply for residencies, uh, I sort of churn out quite a lot when I get a chunk of time. But in the times in between, what I'm always doing is emailing myself notes. So I'll have ideas at strange times and I just let them accumulate um, and look through them all when I get some time. And so it's as though the process is still going. And I think it's useful to just nudge that a bit so that it doesn't disappear. So did you have a deadline for this book or did you write the whole book and then submit it? I didn't have uh, a deadline for this book. Right. I did for Which the previous one. Which is why you could, you could do that approach. Yeah. Um, I had deadlines that I set myself and, you know, mm. my agent would say it would be good if we could get it by this stage and, you know, then we can do this, that and the other. Um and I'm reasonably good at sticking to the deadlines that I make um, because even when you've already published a novel, unless, you know, your novel is in some way make or break for the publisher, mm. you, you, those deadlines are a little bit extendable. It doesn't really um, cause a great problem for me not to finish a novel when I've said I'm going to. So I have to be the person that enforces it really. Yes. And so this is now your third novel. What parts of the process have become easier for you third time round? Well, it's actually my fourth. My first novel was quite a long time ago and it was right. before I was with Alan and Unwin. Um, so what's become easier? Well, you know, they say, and I think it's true, that you don't really learn to write. You just learn to write the book that you're writing and then you have to start uh -huh. again. But even knowing that is useful. So perspective is always useful. Um, that feeling of when the plot is causing difficulties, just knowing, you know, we've been here before. This is a puzzle. Um, there's a quote, I think it's from Brenda Walker, but I'm not, 100% certain that says uh, it tangles then it smooths and I, I just say that to myself all the time when I'm writing because once you've seen it happen a few times the pleasure of it starting to smooth the relief <laughs> is just fantastic. Yeah definitely and so what do you find is the most rewarding thing about writing fiction? Um what is the most rewarding thing? Just really when it starts working, when something that was just a glimmer um, where you've been through all these bad drafts of the work where you're not expressing what you wanted to on the page but then you kind of hack your way through and it starts 
taking shape like a garden. It's just exhilarating. It's fantastic. Yes. It's, you know, it's a long game, but it's so worth it. When you write then, do you write, where do you actually physically write? Do you, is it always in one spot? Do you go to cafes? Are you able to write in your office? Where do you physically do that? Uh, I do it anywhere I can and it from day to day it often depends where my children are and I need to be somewhere else. Um, I've written in the car. So my previous novel, um, I was living on the northern beaches then too. I'd go and sit somewhere really pretty and just write in the car. Like on um, a laptop or in a notebook or on what? In a notebook when I was doing that. Right. I write less on a notebook now because um, – with lack of practice, my handwriting is getting really bad mm-hmm. um, and, and, and I type so much faster, you know, and mm-hmm. it doesn't make my hands ache. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still sometimes when uh, I need to give myself just a little bit of a jolt, a fresh perspective, I'll just go somewhere with a notebook um, away from all the places that I normally am and just write it by hand and see what happens. But really I write anywhere and often on the fly I just have to figure out where there's going to be some space but the brilliant thing about writing is um, that it's just you and some pretty simple equipment and you just need to find yourself a little corner libraries I quite often hide away in my bedroom Uh, in England we were living in a tiny house so I put headphones on and um, just sit in bed with the iPad, uh, just just wherever, whenever I can just carve out a few hours. And then on a practical level then, if you're writing sometimes in a notebook, sometimes on your laptop, sometimes in your iPad in bed, how do you manage all the different, like did you write in a document that synced across all devices or did, uh, were you just I, writing I, notes I, that you pulled together into something else later? How did that work? Well, so with notebooks, at some point I'll type them up. So there'll be a document that's always on the go and um, it's slightly cumbersome but safe. Um, My method is that I email the document to myself at the end of a session and I just open that document um, when I start again. So then it doesn't matter where I am once I'm in the digital phase. And, right. and so I you know, don't actually save that, it anywhere in particular. You email it to yourself and use that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's saved on these various the devices. Original, but, yes, but, it, yes. but it's this paranoia that something's going to break and I won't have it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a great idea. So now that Blue Bottle is out and, yeah. you know, making lots of waves, I've seen a lot of um, coverage on it, what are you, what are you working on now? Um, well, I'm doing this business of gathering the scraps and sending myself little notes, but, um, Ah. I want to write a novel, um, about friendship, uh, about literary envy, um, and also (laughs) about, yeah, I know about the loss of friendship, because I think the loss of friendship is one of those kind of unexplored, um, griefs that most of us go through at some point um but it's not uh it's not examined in the same way as you know say divorce or the death of a parent or a partner 
I, I just think it's one of those painful experiences that everyone's got access to that I think would just make great fiction. Absolutely. Everyone can relate to that. That's fantastic. Um, I can't wait to read it. Um, (laughs) All right. So um, tell us then if you could give your top three tips for writing, fiction writing, to aspiring writers, what might they be? Um, Goodness. So one would be uh, you've just got to get through the drafts. It's not going to be beautiful it's going to be ugly uh just get through it keep going it will come good um and you you really need some practice to know that that's true but it really is um another would be to read really uh voraciously but also carefully to read with an eye on what you need so it's not about copying it's about figuring out how people do things um and the other one would be uh, that if you can um you should walk or swim and it'll help you think little problems will just get solved when you walk away from them and do some exercise i think as far as is physically possible for people Um, If you can find the exercise that suits you when you're writing, um, it's like magic. Wonderful. And what's yours? Uh, My form of exercise. Yeah. What's the magic for you? Uh, Walking. It's just brilliant. And do you make sure that you schedule that every day or after every writing session or or, and do you – ponder your characters while you're walking or do you try not to do that? Um, I, uh, when I'm in a sort of, um, you know, one of these chunks of time where I can write every day, I do try and walk every day as well. Um, and I quite deliberately don't take music, um, or podcasts, um, And I sort of let the thoughts flow, but at some point I think, well, what about this business with Jack, say, Uh, and just let it kind of drift around. But I don't think you really even need to be so conscious about it. You know, when you're writing all the time, it's there anyway and the brain sort of looping around it. And I I just, it it is like magic. I come back. (laughs) And I and I just I have to grab the notebook as I walk through the door. Wow, that's amazing! All right, well that's great <laughs> advice then. <laughs> Love it. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Belinda. Thank you, Valerie. You're welcome. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. 
Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. There you go, Belinda Castles. Great interview. I love, I do love, like it's always fun, I think, to read a novel that is set where you live, don't you think? Like there's a certain thrill in recognising, you know, having inside knowledge and recognising things. Totally. Puberty, Puberty Blues was all that for me. Because it was all around the area that I grew up and, you know, uh, the pizza hut that I used to go to even and all of those things. It was, wow, yeah, puberty, where they went. Not not the panel vans that you were hanging out in, I assume. Uh, I did not go into panel vans, no. (laughs) But it was Sylvania High, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. Wow. Okay. (laughs) All right. So, what? I know you're a bit stressed because you're um, about to jet off. So, mm. do you, have you got lists? Do you have a list? Oh, packing I've got list? so many. Honestly, I have so many lists, and yes. I, like then you have to start making lists to keep track of your lists of where oh. your lists might be. Like oh, I've yeah. just got the the difficulty I have is that I'm packing not just for myself, but for you know. I mean, my husband takes care of himself, which is lovely. Thank heavens for that. But I've got the two boys to organise and it just seems to be – I have just so many requirements for underpants. I just oh. <laughs> keep track. You know, socks. How many pairs of socks? Like a million pairs of socks. And, you know, they just seem to go through clothes. The great thing about boys is that, you know, you they'll either wear one pair of shorts the entire time we're away because mm. that, that's a possibility – or, you know, but most of what they have kind of is like mix and match and a couple of different T-shirts and off they go. So they're fairly simple from that perspective. Right. But they they go through clothes really quickly. Oh, yeah. Like yes. because there's, there's you know, like you, you put something on in the morning and you think most people would probably sit in a car all day, you know, on a driving holiday and get out at the other end mm. and you would probably almost be able to still wear the same thing the next day. Mm. But this is not necessarily the case. No. Particularly with my 11-year-old because mm. chances are that he will find some kid in a park to play rugby with and he will come in, yes. you know, and he will be covered in grass stains and there will be you know, all manner of washing required. So um, they just so do So do you do clothes. washing? Do you do washing while you're travelling? Oh, I'm, well, yeah, I have to because yes. I, I can't take, I, the, you know, I would need a small shipping container to take enough gear yes. um, for a full, because we're going for a few weeks, you know, so it's not like it's a week trip or anything. Yeah. So we're going yeah. for a few weeks and um, they just wouldn't, it, it, would, it wouldn't work. Um, but then it's just all those bits and, you know, do you have your phone cable and have you got your ticket oh, yes. and do you have your visa and, you know, stuff like that. You know, important. important things. <laughs> yes, that don't, that don't let you into the country otherwise. <laughs> exactly, that stuff. That's important. Anyway. Well, so I'm excited for you. I think that I know, that's I'm really excited cool. too. I really, I, it's been a long time since we've been anywhere, you know, interesting. So I'm, you know, outside the country. So I'm looking forward to, um, you know, to just having a total break. I think that will be good. I'm really, do you know, I have to say, I am really looking forward to just having a break from, from that sort of relentless social media stuff as well. Yes. Like, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll have a break from the writer center accounts. I'll have a break from my own accounts. Yep. And, yep. um, I just think it's a good time to be offline at the moment. Detox. It, it's exhausting. I think mm. the internet is exhausting at the moment. So I'm quite looking forward to just having a rest from that. But anyway, what are you going to be doing? I'm just going to be cuddling my furry babies because I haven't seen them in so long. So I'm going to be hanging out with them and and loving oh, it, loving lovely. it. 
Yes. Lovely. Hmm. Anyway, so that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Where can we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You will find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Instagram and Facebook at Alison Tate Writer. But you won't find me there too often over the next few weeks, yes. and then I'll be back with a bang. Woohoo. Mm. Okay. You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, connect with us in the podcast listener community on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and uh, request to join. We'd love to have you in there. It's an awesome, awesome group and I really love it. Uh, Until next time, everyone, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. 